0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the inaugural Watt Carbon Watt, uh, Watt Carbon podcast. I'm McGee Young, the founder and CEO of Watt Carbon, and I have with me my co-host, Kelly Littleton, who is the newest Watt Carbonista. Say hi, Kelly.
1: Hi, everyone. Just as you were speaking, I think we should call this the Wattcast.
0: The Wattcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, we are trying this out. So if anybody's actually listening to this, this is sort of like one small step for Watt Carbon and one giant leap for uh, me and Kelly who have never done a podcast. Uh, well, I've been on a podcast once or twice, but uh, we've never recorded one or tried to host one. So this is a this is a work in progress. Um, we're gonna try to do this on a regular basis. So if this doesn't go terribly, um, expect more of it. And the idea that Kelly and I came up with was that we would interview people that are working on the front lines of the decarbonization movement um, in the United States, maybe globally, and talk to them about the work that they do and uh, just get to know them a little bit more. So uh, that being said, maybe we should get to know us a little bit to start with. And since those of you who are listening in, all, you know, two or three of you, um, maybe know me, may not know Kelly because she's new here. I thought we could take a little bit of time to uh, to get to know Kelly a little bit better. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, Kelly, I've got I've got questions for you. <laughs> First of all, it, you look cold. Where are you, where are you?
1: Yeah, so I am coming at you from Missoula, Montana, um, which is under severe weather watch right now. I think the the low is negative 40 tomorrow. So um, yeah, is beautiful, but it can be brutal. Um,
0: but neg- negative 40, uh, f- for some context that, so if it was like, you know, 30 degrees, we gotta go to negative 40, that's a 70, you, you gotta go 70 degrees below freezing. Yeah which would be the equivalent of kind of like 100 degrees uh, going, going the other direction. That's That sounds pretty dire.
1: It's the kind of cold where you go outside for two seconds and your eyelashes freeze open, which is always a fun, a fun, <laughs> uh, fun have side you ever of it.
0: Done, have you ever done the water, the exploding water trick?
1: No, tomorrow would be a good time to try it. This, and I this... can stand being out there for that long. <laughs>
0: Excellent, and I, I assume that you have electric heat.
1: Yes, um, old apartment, electric heat. Um, trying to do a little bit of of wild west sealing myself recently around the windows to to just prepare for the worst, but um, yeah, we I think the whole community is community in Missoula is on mostly on natural gas um but slowly moving to electric as a whole wow so
0: if the if the grid goes down tomorrow it's it's gonna it's gonna be like station tw- was it station 29 what was the show on hbo did you did you watch that show <laughs> oh you know, nope. uh, it took place it's the base on the sci station 11 I and mean, station 11 that's what it was called uh, anyway where they get trapped in their chicago apartment uh for the course of the winter with no electricity and you know and it's it's
1: now that you mentioned that i have been watching a lot of alaska bush people and they are very creative about their ways to stay warm with space blankets and all that i might have to implement some of my my knowledge
0: so so help me understand montana a little bit better you're in missoula how is that different than other places in montana does it have its own kind of unique montana character is so as a californian it's all basically the same to me But I'm sure that there's lots of, you know, people in Bozeman are like, oh, no, those Missoula people are like the Helena people. Oh, my gosh, it's totally different.
1: I I feel like um, I think a lot of people who live in Missoula live here because it feels like it almost feels like the Asheville or the Nashville of of Montana. So a little artsy, a little crunchy, um, which is why we like it. Uh, Pretty diverse as much as you can say for or Montana, which is not saying much, but
0: there are lots of different types of cows in the <laughs> world.
1: Yes, we have uh, at least eight, ty- eight types of beef and bison here, which you know. Um, but yeah, it's I guess it's pretty eclectic for a relatively uh, ex- what can be a, an exclusive environment. So um, there's just a lot to offer here, um, a lot going on, and the sense of community. And this this sounds a little trite, a little overused, but, um, the sense of community is just amazing here. Um, one of the biggest towns in Montana, but, but small town feel and, um, yeah, apt to help what's, your neighbor.
0: What's the population?
1: Oh, I don't know. I should, I should know this. It I just wrote this down too. Um, all I could do some quick Googling, but yeah, I know the population of, of Atlanta, which is where I'm usually, I'm originally from, but
0: Wait, you moved from, Atlanta to Missoula? Yep. Wow. Yeah.
1: Pretty much as far of a string, as long of a string as you can draw across the map, but um, originally from the South.
0: So you grew up up not ever even owning a jacket probably, and now-
1: My first year in Montana was absolutely brutal. I was in like 10 sweatshirts and didn't know what puffy jackets were and didn't have wool or base layers. So it was just like wearing all my clothes at once and walking around like a snowman trying to brave brave the Montana winters, but learned quick. It actually isn't that bad with right gear, And it's just like learning how to be in a different environment. Um, but
0: that's, that's what the people who live in Los Angeles say too, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not that bad. I mean, winter's brutal. It, like it gets down to 50, but if you have the right gear and the right puffy Patagonia jacket, you're, you're going to be okay. So I, I can see, I can see how that would be the case. There too. <laughs> so you moved, you moved to, to Montana to pursue architecture.
1: Yeah. I, well, so the original plan was good to go to Georgia Tech um, for, they have an amazing kind of building systems science program um, that I was really interested in. And I used the architecture program in Bozeman at Montana State as an excuse to get out here and never leave, um, which it, it was an amazing program in, in itself, less, less on the engineering side, but really, really comprehensive. Um, so yeah, moved, moved to Bozeman originally for school um between undergrad and going back for my master's of architecture came to missoula to work at a firm um fell in love went back to finish my master's in bozeman and then eventually came back to missoula um
0: so who's the greatest architect of all time
1: (laughs) oh my gosh what a question um wow what a question Honestly, I think, uh, I don't think it's any one person. I think it's a firm because there's a stigma in architecture that, especially like as a young architect, you kind of go to school with architect as a capital A, like I am an architect. This is what I do. It's my identity. It's my culture. It's everything, which I kind of think is toxic. Like it's this, archaic um version of the industry that is a little more about ego and less about impact and designing for the community um so i i i like even you asking that question it like raise hackles <laughs> of of the
0: frank, frank Geary is not the right answer here. yeah
1: exactly like the frank lloyd right the the architect of the capital a um kind of thing um But yeah, there's there's a a bunch of firms I'm a big fan of that are doing great, great kind of community community oriented work um, that I follow closely. But it's been a while since I've been in the architecture world, so (laughs) there's that. I thought
0: you would say violin, but or 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 maybe go back to like the Leonardo da Vinci or some CS. yeah, like like
1: way way the. I mean, a lot of the I'm a huge fan of a lot of indigenous architecture um, Mm -hmm. just because it's very earth based and they do a lot with not not a lot. Um, It's just kind of like the original version of environmentalism and really smart about it, like passive design and shading and and wall assemblies and um, social spaces. If you go back, you can it's just a beautiful way to build and design um but yeah if you go back that far there's a lot of great uh examples in the indigenous kind of yeah world
0: interesting so so now but but of course architecture is is uh you you end up i think a lot of folks you know end up building or you're designing summer homes for you know los angeles people who are relocating to montana and maybe not as fulfilling as, as one might hope, what made you switch careers to working on energy and, and decarbonization issues?
1: Great question. Um, so I think the the reality of practicing at a firm, you at least for me, I was really interested in kind of the environmental sustainability side of architecture and actually impacting systems that dictated a lot of what we were doing. Um, and like you said, the reality of a lot of the firms in Montana are building multimillion dollar lock homes in the Yellowstone Club, right? Um, for like Bill Gates and that kind of thing. Um, and I, I think I was really drawn to kind of frustrated with not spending so much time on a project that felt kind of stagnant and like it didn't have the impact that I was after. And it just wasn't filling my cup in that respect. Um, kind of come from an uh, energy regulation backgrounds so um, grew up in uh, very familiar with the ashray world and hvac world and understanding from early on that that's you know you can talk about form all you want and function and beauty and aesthetics and that brings people happiness but at the end of the day i think the guts of a lot of our building systems is is way more important than um, a lot of the other icing on the cake. So um, found myself really drawn to those underlying systems and trying to bring both, what originally drew me to architecture was, you know, you have the humanity side and the science side, and it's this marriage of the two and trying to bring more of that industry knowledge to the system side and that kind of engagement with people, humanity side to the energy world, which I feel like is not always there. You talk to really, really smart people doing amazing things, but um, not always within a frame of like people impact and human impact. So
0: we talk about BTUs and thermal coefficients. and
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I I can nerd out on BTUs all day, right? But I'm also like really... Um, what lights me up is trying to understand like the people behind the numbers and what that actually means in real time. So I totally. feel like it's, and I, I've told you this before me, I feel like my target is getting more narrow on marrying those two interests and, and getting closer to where to where I want to be. So if not, I'm there. So um, yeah.
0: One, one of our, uh, you, you know, we, we, we're big fans of Amory Lovins who, yep. who coined the term the the megawatt, um, but another point, another um, contribution that he made was to remind us that um, that you know if if you talk to people about it, about energy, they're mostly you know wanting to know if their if their house is going to be warm, if their shower is going to be warm, if their food's going to stay cold, right? Like it's it's much more about the way in which we experience energy than you know perhaps the tariff rate that we pay you know on a marginal basis for you know peak energy consumption that's you know that you quickly lose interest uh now you, if you inflict enough pain on people they will pay attention but in some ways it tends to be a little counterproductive yeah right, where you um now they're just mad at you for making their lives miserable yeah. <laughs> like oh the thing that I'm supposed to enjoy now is like actually costing me money and making, costing me pain. Like, and, and you're saying this is good for me somehow, like, wait, what?
1: Right. So exactly. Exactly. Congrats. Yeah.
0: So, so, so tell me about this. So you worked at a, at the, at a nonprofit and you, you, you left the architectural world and said, I'd like to be massively underpaid for my <laughs> skills and I'm going to okay. work for a nonprofit. Uh, what did this organization do?
1: Yeah. So at a very high level, they did a little bit of everything. They worked on policy, water, but um, uh, dabbled before I came. Dabbled in, in building the buildings world um, with this program called Buildings for the Future. It just just became a thing before I I started, and um, I was hired to kind of grab it and run with it. Um, so I mostly was charged with building this building this thing out and and creating uh, like real actionable steps. What, what does this mean? What are we talking about when we're talking about building for the future? Um, and how do we work with, um, at, the, at the nonprofit, how do we work with the city, the county, and the state to create these like actual um, impactful programs? So I um, kind of co-created and co-launched with the county and the city um, building electrification programs which incentivized were around education and outreach and rebates and you know partnerships with uh, heat pump distributors that incentivized um, uh, switching from gas and propane systems to heat pump systems um, and it was really great. We got to work with a lot of um, we, it was there's a focus on LMI residents which was really rewarding and tangentially, I was oddly enough, one of the, the leaders of the kind of voice to get the 2024 IECC passed here, which was like a, my intro to lobbying and politics, which was kind of fun. Um, so I had my hands in a lot of I love building code. I just think it's I I mean, that's a lot of where my background is, but um, I I think it's one of the strongest levers to kind of change full scale um, and demand energy reductions in high performing buildings from the onset. Um, so I got to, you know, create these skeleton codes for Montana um, that they're hopefully going to use and implement in the next couple of years and ordinances and zoning and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so, so buildings for the future was, was code and policy. It was outreach. It was working with architects and contractors and all sorts of folks in the space to create programming and incentives to move towards electrification and kind of this more holistic view of, of um, low carbon, low energy, and just kind of smart building. And what does that mean here? It was very local place-based solutions, I would say. Did,
0: did you find yourself with any um, unusual allies and people mm-hmm. that you, as you got into this? You're like, oh my gosh, we're on the same side of this. And I had no idea.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. Um, yeah, so as coming from the architecture world, there's this adversarial relationship with engineers, um, just like historically. Um, and that's that's not always the case. I think engineers, I mean, with a good uh, workflow, engineers can be amazing and are in a, integral to um, the project's success. But I think it tends to be a little strained given demands going back and forth. But I think um, building out these programs, working with engineers as a non-design professional and as more of a nitty gritty, we need to just figure this out and find a solution. Um, that was a great shift for me. And then also the same thing with working with contractors. Um, some, some were a little more difficult than the others, but the, the ones that were on the same page and have the same uh, a value system, you get to talking to people and just realize people, people. And, um, you know, people have the bottom line and then they have, you know, the the things that you can't always see. And a lot of those things that you can't always see, what motivates people are really similar to, you know, the work you're doing. So I think it's just digging around and finding those motivations um, and kind of meeting people where they're at. But I think those those two industries, um, for a little surprise, maybe not as I sh- I shouldn't have been as surprised as I was, um, mm-hmm. find them as allies and in, in my corner, but, um, there who are, is also, sorry, go ahead.
0: Who are the biggest impediments? You know, what, what, what got in the way more than anything else?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, maybe not a who, but like an entity, um, just like the political atmosphere in montana the leanings here um trickled down into we had a lot of smart people working on this a lot of uh interest a lot of motivation but not a lot of backing from the higher ups in terms of funding and um recognizing that we do need to put throw more dollars and capacity at these things because it's just a huge, huge effort, and three people working on it is not going to do anybody any good. So I think it's just working against the tide a little bit with the political leanings in Montana and um, was a little frustrating, (laughs) a lot frustrating. There's so many great people working on it, but we could only get so far without, you know, official, uh, without running into official roadblocks. So.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Do you think you could pull this off in a place like Atlanta? Is it the same, you know, if there's the same kind of like dynamics there that would make this, you know, similar kind of hard, but maybe also, you know, doable?
1: Yeah, I feel like it. I feel like, um, well, for one, I haven't lived in Atlanta for, for a while, so I, I'm not as familiar with the politics. I'm, yeah, from a high level, I am, but. I know that at the city level, the leadership is, is at least the people, the leadership and the people directly under the leadership are pretty progressive when it comes to like greening the city and um, all these great initiatives. So I think they're like any bigger city too, I think there's they're leaps and bounds ahead of, of a smaller community that's leaning one way very drastically. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting, um, different size, sizes of communities and, and townships, I guess, moving at different speeds. And, um, but it all, like what's really encouraging for me is most are moving in what I consider the right direction. It's just a different, different rates, different speeds.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Gen- generally, not fast enough.
1: Yeah, exactly. Definitely but, not fast enough, but there is movement, so.
0: So, so here's a question for you. Um, you, you probably watched the show Yellowstone. <laughs> uh, it, yes. It's like, it's on, it's on all of the channels in yes. Montana, I think. Uh, and have you ever seen a Yellowstone actor around town, you know, like getting coffee at the local coffee shop or, you know, Riding through in their limo you know, or whatever is this? Have you come close to it? And yeah, so let me ask you that.
1: Yeah, Kevin Cosner was just riding his horse down the down the road. No, just um, no, we did we did see Rip um, at a bar called the Top Hat the other day. They're around. They're shooting the the ranch is actually shot in a place called Darby, which is thirty minutes south of Missoula. So they're definitely around. And I think a few of the cast have even bought ranches in the area um it's funny that show it's it's brought a lot of tourist dollars here um but it also like i have friends who work in architecture here and they've had calls from out of state saying i just watched the show i'd like to buy a ranch please i have x amount of millions of dollars and i'm not even just sight unseen build me a whatever because because of yellowstone right so that like that like Oh, it kind of kills us a little bit, but um, it is really great. I, I told the story to you the other day. We, my old firm, they turned in, they were filming at my old firm. They turned it into this boutique um, shop or whatever, and we're filming this mass violent murder scene <laughs> or just kind of crazy scene out front, and we didn't know what was going on. There are bodies everywhere, and they're just like, oh, you're on set. You should, you uh-huh. should move out of this frame, <laughs> so. It's kind of fun, but also a double-edged sword for for putting us on the map when we necessarily don't want to be, which is like the theme of the show, right? <laughs> and here really the show agree. is part of the problem.
0: I feel like, I feel like if they would have, it, it's always summertime on the show.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I
0: think it's like two months of the year. Uh, yeah,
1: I know. What about the six-month winter? Where is that?
0: I feel like if they were to film today, for example, when it's negative 40, yeah. That you might not have this same issue of people wanting to move there.
1: Hollywood and the delicate the delicate actors probably couldn't do the negative forty. Do
0: you have Do you have a favorite character?
1: Hmm. I, I I know she's very polarizing, but I really what's the daughter's name? Beth. Beth. Yeah, I'm a Beth fan. She is okay. polarizing character, but I. The fire, I love
0: the fire. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, Kelly, we're we're really excited to have you as part of the Watt Carbon team. Uh, you've been now uh, getting you know indoctrination by fire uh, for the last three weeks. Uh, anything that you're you know particularly excited about as we head into the new year?
1: I mean, I'm so excited to see this thing go live, which is going to be the day. I hear the the, the gossip is, um, and I'm really excited to just kind of see everything in real time. And um, that it just seems like a really exciting time for the team. Everybody's been working so hard um, to get this thing out the door, and I'm just really excited to to see the fruit of all those efforts. Um, and yeah. Hold on for dear life and be along for the ride.
0: Totally, there's nothing like being employee number six at a startup, where it's just like, "Welcome to the madness."
1: Yeah, no, it's great. It's good madness. It's my kind of uh, my kind of madness. Um, yeah, it's it's been great so far. I'm really excited. we're
0: excited to have you. And and again, I'll, I'll, both of you listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs>
1: My dad well, and your
0: mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, they probably tuned out by now at this point too. <laughs> uh, you will all, everybody. We're gonna, we're gonna try to host this together. Uh, bring in people that that uh, are willing to put up with our jabbering at them for for you know a half an hour to however long we decide to stay on. Uh, it's pretty free form. We don't know what we're doing, uh, but uh, just to get a chance to talk to folks about uh, what's happening and about their lives. So Kelly, thanks for thanks for participating in this inaugural episode with me. This is episode one. It's officially in the books. This is the Wattcast. <laughs> I'm McGee Young.
1: That's Kelly Lillton. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.